Good morning. I heard it said that life is what happens when you're waiting for something to... Now, how does this go? Life is what happens when you're waiting for something else to happen. I probably butchered that. I've been thinking this past week that 2,000 years ago, during the anticipation of Christ's birth and during Jesus' life, there was an awful lot of anticipation expecting things to happen. When the Messiah came, most of the Jewish people were convinced that not only would the Jewish people be reestablished as one of the dominant empires of the area, but that there would be a resurrection of all of the righteous people who had died over the course of time. Can you imagine what that would be like if those were the expectations, the anticipations of the coming of the Messiah, of the coming of the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what that would feel like? I mean, this is like Christmas and Easter and your birthday and the 4th of July, all of that stuff rolled up into one expectation. So it's not surprising that in the Gospels there are A number of times when Jesus is asked about when these things are going to happen, one of them in particular takes place in the 17th chapter of Luke's Gospel, where Jesus has a conversation with a Pharisee, Pharisee asking when the kingdom of God is going to come. And in that conversation, Jesus' response is that the kingdom is not something that can be observed. Not something that can be observed, Jesus says. I would expect that a resurrection of righteous dead people, that's something you could observe. Uh, The restoration of kingdom glory with palaces and temples and armies and all of that, something that could be observed. And so I'm, I'm sure that this Pharisee was a little bit disappointed when Jesus says the kingdom is not something that can be observed. Instead, Jesus says the kingdom is in your midst. It's already here. It's not brick and mortar. It's something else. You can imagine the look of consternation on that Pharisee's face. And then Jesus says that while they're waiting for the kingdom to be revealed, he would suggest that they do something. And that thing is that they should pray. While you're waiting for all this glory to burst out, pray. We pick up the story in Genesis or in uh, Luke chapter 18 verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, "In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought." And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? One way that some people read this passage is that if we just pester Jesus long enough, he'll give us what we want. Don't give up. If at first he doesn't answer, try, try again. That's how some people might read this passage. Just Be persistent in badgering Jesus until he gives you what you want. Kind of like that other verse about prayer that is often twisted by so many people, like asking anything in my name, Jesus says. Ask for anything in my name and I'll get in. And some people interpret that if you just slap the in the name of Jesus on the end of whatever you're asking for, then he's bound. He's got to do it, right? Some people see these kind of passages that way. Pester Jesus. Slap his name on it, you'll get what you want. But in the larger context of what I mentioned from chapter 17, and then the paragraphs that follow this parable, we'll discover what Jesus really meant when he said, persist in praying. This is not a gimme, gimme, gimme prayer. A couple notes on this parable. First, the, the fact that God is not likened to the judge, the unjust judge, but rather God is contrasted with the judge. In other words, if an unjust person, if an unjust judge is willing to do the right thing just because somebody pesters them long uh, long enough, then how much more will God give us justice? That's the comparison that's being made here. God is a God of how much more? The word quickly in verse 8 indicates that whatever Jesus is telling those people to pray about is going to happen quickly, imminently. It's just around the corner. We'll hear more about that shortly. So while in some parables of Jesus we're left having to try to figure out some of these images and truths ourselves, there's absolutely no question about the interpretation of this parable. Luke begins the story with this sentence. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So this parable is about prayer, persistently praying. But what should we be praying for persistently? The answer to this question is found in the last sentence of verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's also revealed in the topics of the next few paragraphs that follow this parable. The next 
paragraph, the next story is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember them praying in close proximity to one another in the temple. And the Pharisee is thanking God that I'm not like that tax collector over there, all self-righteous. But the tax collector is humbly asking God to have mercy on me, a sinner. Faith is found in the person of this repentant tax collector, not the self-righteous Pharisee. Then the paragraph after that, the story after that, is the story of people bringing their babies to Jesus. And his disciples think that Jesus is far too important to waste time hugging babies. And so they rebuke the people who are bringing the babies. And Jesus' reply is that faith is found in those who receive the kingdom of God like a little child. Next comes the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus wanting to know how he can have eternal life. Faith could have been found by that rich ruler if only he would have been willing to sell everything and give it to the poor. But he wasn't ready to do that, and so he didn't see faith. He didn't have faith. That's followed by the third time that Jesus predicts his death. Going up to Jerusalem, that's where they're heading. When I get there, I'm going to be arrested and tried and mocked and beaten and crucified. Jesus is saying that faith will be found when we find the focus of Jesus' life, the purpose for Jesus' coming. He's heading to Jerusalem to lay down his life and to usher in the kingdom of God. And that's what will come quickly, he says in verse 8. So, The prayer in which we should be persistent, the prayer that we should not give up, is more about recognizing the coming of God's kingdom and less about gimme, gimme, gimme. It's more about looking for faith and less about asking for things that make us comfortable and happy. We need to persist in praying for eyes of faith. And if there's any question about what Jesus is inviting us to persistently pray about, it's cleared up by the last story in chapter 18, an example of the kind of persistent prayer that Jesus invites us to pray. Let's pick up that story in verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Lord, I I want to see. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight, and what did he do? 
he followed Jesus. He followed Jesus up the long, long hill to Jerusalem. He followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Do you you have this picture in your mind's eye? There's this crowd of people who are traveling to Jerusalem with Jesus. They're hanging on his every word. The rabbi is teaching some amazing things, some confounding things, but some amazing things. He's telling incredible stories, and they want to hear it all. And they're not interested in having a, an outcast, a blind beggar, interrupt the teaching session. They, they're not interested in somebody who just can't keep up. And so they try to silence the man. But despite their rebuke, the blind man persists in his request. The word for called out in verse 38 is different from the word shouted in verse 39. Calling out is what you do when you want to get somebody's attention. Hey, Marie. Hey, David. Hey, hey, Karen. But the word in verse 39, shouting, is as William Barclay in his commentary in, uh, describes it, it's an instinctive shout of ungovernable emotion, a scream, an almost animal cry. This is a man who's been blind all of his life, who finally has hope. Jesus is coming, and he's heard about Jesus. He knows he's from Nazareth. He knows he's the son of David. He knows he's claimed to be the Messiah. He probably has heard some of the miracle stories, and he's just a few feet away. This is his last chance, his only chance to be healed. And so he doesn't just say, hey, Jesus, come over here. Jesus! mercy on me an utterly desperate man persisting in his request and what does he persistently ask for I want to see I want to see We take that for granted, don't we? Unless you're starting to get old and your eyesight is waning. We take eyesight for granted. What would it be like not to be able to see the beautiful autumn colors? What would it be like not to be able to see your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? I want to see... That's how desperate this man is. The prayer that Jesus is asking us to persist in is the prayer to be healed of our spiritual blindness. To be given eyes of faith with which we will recognize Jesus and will recognize the coming of his kingdom even as he ushers this kingdom in from the throne of a Roman cross, God will see that we get justice and that we get it quickly. The prayer that Jesus is asking us to persist in is the prayer that will enable us not only to see the kingdom, but to to be able to live the kingdom life. 
which he has described in these intervening stories as a life of humble repentance and mercy, a life of childlike faith, a life of lavish generosity to the poor, a life of sacrificial love. Our persistent prayer life is one that brings the kingdom of God into clearer view and into greater reality. Are you praying to be able to see the kingdom of God? We pray for our gallbladder surgery. We pray for our kids. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for this, that, and the other thing. But are we praying to be able to see the kingdom of God more clearly? Are we praying to be able to live the kingdom life more nearly? I'd like to teach you or perhaps reintroduce you to a prayer that will make this a reality in your daily life. It's called the Jesus Prayer. It's short. Anybody can memorize this, even me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Say that with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. It's a prayer that's been cobbled together from phrases from three different Bible verses. From Philippians chapter 2, Jesus Christ is Lord. From the Annunciation to Mary in Luke chapter 1, Jesus would be the Son of God. And from the parable here in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a prayer which has been prayed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, often time repeated, time and time and time again, silently to oneself, throughout the course of a day until it becomes second nature, a constant, unbroken, perpetual, persistent habit of prayer. It's a reminder that God is always present and living in you. It's a way of allowing God's presence in your thoughts and in our thoughts to renew our mind. That's what happens when God is with us, right? He renews our mind. It's a way of opening our eyes to Jesus throughout the course of every day. I'm rereading the Chronicles of Narnia. It's been years. I love the story. It's uh, if you're not familiar with them, the Narnia is the name of the place, the fantasy story, the place where uh, this is God's kingdom is, is Narnia, the land of Narnia, and land the land of Narnia is populated with uh, giants and all kinds of fantastic creatures and talking animals, and Jesus is depicted in Narnia, the kingdom of God, as a talking lion named Aslan who shows up from time to time, especially when he is most needed. I just finished the voyage of the Dawn Treader, the third of the seven chronicles of Narnia, in which High King Edmund and High Queen Lucy return to Narnia, and they embark on a journey with the King Caspian, who is the one that's reigning at that time in Narnia, sailing east to find seven long-lost lords of Narnia. And they 
encounter a number of islands where they meet different adventures. They come to one island that has a lake, and in the bottom of that lake is what would appear to be a gold statue, life-size gold statue of of a man, a figure of a man lying on the bottom of the lake. Eventually they realize that anything that touches or falls into the water turns into gold, and the gold statue is actually one of these seven lords who had the misfortune of going in for a dip and turned into gold. As soon as they realize that anything that goes in the water of this lake will turn to gold, what begins to happen? Edmund and Caspian begin arguing each other about who is going to claim ownership of this island because they know that they could just toss anything in there, it becomes gold, and they're going to be fabulously wealthy. And so they're almost on the, the verge of blows. They're, they're about to draw their swords to battle each other over ownership of this island when, when they see on the other side of the lake the figure of a large lion, Aslan, walking along, looking at them from across the lake. As they see him, all of a sudden the argument stops. The swords go back in the hilts. They have a hard time remembering what they were arguing about because something about Aslan checked their rampant greed, made them realize that there are things more important than wealth in life. They turned and they left that island never to return. When we turn our eyes upon Jesus, they become eyes of faith, don't they? As we persistently pray to see the king and his kingdom, it becomes an easier thing to see and to recognize. It comes into clearer view. When we turn our eyes on Jesus, we are filled with his spirit and ultimately empowered to live kingdom lives here in this fallen world. Lynn is coming to lead us as we sing a very familiar chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what will happen? Things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's sing that together.
invited us to pray persistently to see your kingdom, to recognize our Savior, to live Christ-like lives of humility and generosity and faith. But Lord, the things of this world all too often loom large in our vision, blocking out the sun of your love and grace. Lord, we desire to be a people who persistently pray to see your kingdom. And we thank you for those over the years who have taught us this this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, thank you that this prayer has the the power to help focus our minds and our hearts and our vision on you and your kingdom. Would you spend a few moments silently praying that prayer? The words are on the screen if you need to be reminded of them, but just repeat that over and over again, allowing God to focus your thoughts and your heart on him and his kingdom. As you repeat that prayer, linger on a word here or a word there. As your mind is focused on the Lord, Perhaps you'll begin to hear the Spirit speaking to you. What is the Spirit saying? Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Father God, we thank you for giving us eyes of faith, recognizing that you are the Savior, that we are wholly dependent upon you. Father, we thank you for the kingdom life that you have caused to be born in us. And we thank you for the way over the years that you have helped us more and more to conform our lives and our thoughts, our words and our affections focused on you. You have shaped us to become like Christ. Father, we long for the return of Jesus. We long for 
the resurrection that will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. But Father, as we are waiting for that to happen, we pray that as we focus our attention on you, as we are reminded of you and your kingdom, that you would help us to live kingdom lives day by day, moment by moment here in this world, that you might prepare us to meet you in the clouds. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.